Um, really glad to be here, and uh, I welcome those of you who uh, are at this particular meeting for the first time. Um, it's uh, quite an experience, and I really love it. Um, so uh, let me start my timer. Um, what I wanted to do um, tonight, and this is what I do when I, whenever I speak, actually, is I combine um, kind of what, my experience um, with trauma and my coping and my healing. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was, you know, when I was reading Ron's chapter, um, the chapter in the book on um, trauma, um, the piece that really stuck out the most for me was the whole concept of uh, big trauma and little trauma. And um, you know, in, in my field, I'm a psychotherapist. You know, we, we do in our notes capital T or small t uh, to differentiate. Trauma is the response to a deeply distressing or disturbing event that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope, causes feelings of helplessness. Use in our home was the norm. And so in order to survive, we get used to, or at some level, we develop coping skills to kind of shield ourselves from the deep uh, fear, um, terror, whatever, um, that comes from living in that kind of chaos. Um, so over the last week or so, probably two weeks, I've been kind of bathed in all of this, um, knowing that I was going to speak tonight and then uh, knowing that we were having the workshop on Saturday and um, having my recent, you know, being in the hospital with a heart issue relative to, I know a lot of my work stress. And a, a, a particular incident happened, and I've talked about this a little bit before with some others, a particular incident happened that I'm gonna use kind of as a pivot point for my talk, which is, um, I'm in a wonderful relationship, my, and um, he, we, he and I were having a, a discussion of some sort, you know, in the last week or so, or last couple of weeks, and he looked at me, and what I read was disappointment and disgust, and I immediately had a response. It, I went to, you know, withdrawal fear, shame, let me hide, um, certainly shut down. Um, and I sat with that. Well, I didn't sit with it. I did what I usually do, which is get busy. <laughs> I puttered in the house. I sat with it. I didn't talk with him about it. Um, anyway, that became a, a real kind of jumping off point because while that is not a, a particular trauma, so to speak, to me, it kind of uh, highlights what happens for me and probably for most of you when past trauma has not been looked at and worked through and healed. Um, so a little bit of history. I'm one of four children. Uh, my father was an active alcoholic the whole time I was growing up. He also has a family history of mental illness. Um, my mom was strongly codependent and she grew up in a time when, you know, that was the perfect description of a good wife. 
Um, I have an, my oldest sister uh, committed suicide as a direct result of mental illness and substance abuse. And I have a brother who died from um, drug addiction. Um, all of us are alcoholic. Some are in recovery, some not. Um, the energy in our home was really high. We're all uh, intelligent, um, bright, active. Most of them are introverts. I, myself and one other is an extrovert. So it just kind of balanced it out. Um, but I, and so there were probably a lot of big T events, a lot of beatings um, in, in the house. Um, and, but many, many, many small T events. And in his book, Ron talks about trauma is not necessarily the result of a single horrific experience or even a few, but can be the consequence of many low intensity invalidating experiences. And they were really daily in my house. Um, I think before I go further, I, I, I will be focusing a lot on kind of the small T that became large T, but I don't mean to um, leave out or minimize or any of that to anybody. And I know many here have had some major traumas in their life. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, the way I learned to cope uh, as a child was I had an older sister who was very protective and advocated for me. And she and I became very bonded. Um, I also developed with, I'll call it through my higher power. I now know it was a, a real God shot. Um, my higher power, my survival self. I began to develop something called dissociation. And I bet there's one or two of you that know what that means. <laughs> It's, it's a, a very common uh, coping mechanism for um, growing up with chaos and trauma. Um, and basically what it means is when I can't deal with what's going on, when I don't know how to cope with what's going on, I will send my mind, my spirit, myself somewhere else. In my, I'll, I'll just go somewhere else. And um, that, that's a very handy coping skill when, when you don't know what else to do. Um, so I got into therapy. Um, oh, I wanted to mention one more thing about dissociation. Um, I now have much healthier coping tools. Um, I have dissociated for so long that it happens naturally to me now. Um, it's caused me a lot of problem in life. Um, I, I know that part of my memory problem is because I still dissociate. Um, and it's not something I do uh, intentionally. I think it just happens automatically in some situations. But my forgettery is pretty intense. And uh, anyway, I just want to say that because, again, if there's anybody else that is struggling with that, you might want to think about that, that it actually came from a pretty helpful coping tool. Um, so um, my ways to cope were my sister and I began to develop my codependency, which I learned so beautifully from my mother. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of 
the idea that I would focus on someone else really helped me not sit with myself. And again, I didn't know how to do any of this. So, so we learn what we learn. And, and, and I now know these coping tools, uh, while they become dysfunctional later on, they are really gifts. They, these all kept me probably from killing myself. Um, I, I didn't see a way out. Um, and, and actually I began to fantasize about killing myself at a young age. Um, it was like my secret. It was a secret door that I could like, it was at the end of the hallway on this hallway where all these doors were coping and experiences and whatever at the very end was suicide. And I felt safe because I, in my mind, it was always there. Um, and so I, I also began to develop a fantasy of, uh, and I'd like to talk about, I, I talk about this because it really goes to my intense codependency. I began to want to train myself to become a geisha um, because I, I felt like since in my mind, men were the most important people, if I could know how to serve them and make them happy in the best way, then I would have a clearer idea of who I was in the world. Um, it probably was a start of, you know, my, what became later my love addiction. Um, I had my first drink at 12, um, my first drug at 19. And all of these things became like breeding ground for me to begin to uh, replicate the chaos and the trauma and the dysfunctional relationships I began to choose as an adult. I got in therapy for the first time when I was 20. Um, I th one of the things that got me there was a belief that I would never find happiness if I, if I couldn't be someone else. And since I couldn't ever be anyone else and somewhere I knew that, that's where that secret door at the end of the hall always came in. If it became too intense, I was just going to head in that direction. Um, I've been in and out of therapy since that time, got into AA when I was 32 and began to work the steps. And each, each, of the, each time I had a little more therapy or a little more step work or another meeting or whatever, I, I, I would gain more insight. Um, at about three years in recovery, I got involved with um, a therapist who was doing very intense ACOA work. And this was the first time I felt like I, I could, I was allowed to and encouraged to really tap into the felt sense. And again, these weren't words I knew then, but I, I do now. The, the, the feelings that were in with, within me uh, related to the trauma and the chaos. And she taught us to, in group, with the group support, pound on pillows, she had bats. And I mean, that was also kind of cool back in those days, which was, uh, I don't remember when it was, it was a while ago, it was 35 years ago. She had the rubber foam bats and that kind of thing, but it really began to help me to tap into that, all that junk that was pushed down from the trauma. Um, so I did that work and, and I got more in touch with all that. And um, when I went to my first progressive recovery workshop, which I think now is seven or eight years ago, maybe nine, um, 
I came to it with a, a sense of despair. Oh, oh, I'm out of time. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on because I, I am out of time. I want to go back to talk a little bit about the healing. So I want to go back to the situation with where he gave me that look. And what happened to me was a lot of negative thinking began. The thoughts of, I'm really messed up. I'm a screw up. I'm always going to be a mess up. He's angry. He's going to withdraw. And he may not leave, but he's not going to be available. And um, so I, I, take, I took that into uh, the fourth step inventory. And now we're talking about the, the thing that's become probably my greatest healing tool. And so in the fourth, fourth step inventory, um, Randy was the, the problem. The story is, as I said it, the feeling was fear, um, shame. Um, and so for me, I'm very fortunate because I'm trained in EMDR. And so I have the EMDR tappers, so I use them. And as I was using them, what came to me was an image of my father's face and how often he looked at me with disgust and disappointment. And like I wasn't worth his time and he wasn't around. So because he was out with another woman or whatever he was doing, drinking. Um, and so I took that in. I believed that. And this was one of the cores, the core kernels, this small T, this, um, for me, it was traumatic you know, to not have, have my father's approval, um, to have him look at me with disgust. Um, so I, I did my EMDR work and really got to a lot of the core of that, the emotions. Um, and um, anyway, I went on to, to column four. And um, so in column three, what I learned was that my old ideas and beliefs is that I am a disappointment and I am disgusting. And so I brought that to the column four. And after I did the, a little bit more healing with that, what I've learned is that I, in fact, I am tenacious in my recovery, you know, um, and I have a quest to be happy, joyous, free. Um, sometimes when people look at me with disappointment or disgust, it might be because they don't know how to cope with a question I may have asked, or I might have said something that hit them in, in a really personal way. Um, so the, the healing and, and the spe specifically this fourth step work has begun to, um, I have this image in my mind of me being a pure, whole, healthy spirit and a screen being put over me. And the screen is the traumas and the chaos, but mostly the traumas. And when I started this work, that the mesh in that screen was really, really tiny, like hardly anything could fit in, certainly not the sunlight of the spirit. And as I've done this trauma work, those, the mesh has become wider and wider. And, you know, I'm getting more in touch with the, that, whole, healthy, beautiful part of myself. Um, I want to just go back. I know I'm out of time. I just want to go back for a minute and say, because this is important when we're talking about trauma. In my work, and uh, this you can identify with whether you're a therapist working with the military or not, 
in my work doing EMDR with the military, what began to happen for me was as they were talking about their trauma, I began to have secondary trauma. And that is just as it sounds, that I began to be traumatized from their work. And so I had to learn how to do some detaching and, and healing from that as well. I also got out of the military work. Um, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> um, anyway, so, well, I guess what I would like to end with is to say what I did at the end of this little episode of my of the fourth progressive recovery fourth step work. I decided, oh gosh, one of my therapists a long time ago suggested that I get a picture of myself that I liked of myself when I was that child, when the you know was I when before I was really seriously affected by the trauma, and put it in a nice frame and put it up. And I have one in the kitchen and one at my desk. And so as I was finishing this work, I was glancing at her. Isn't she cute? <laughs> in my school uniform. I was glancing at her and I shut my eyes and I had the tappers still on and I let myself feel her. I let myself feel that whole healthy part of me part of us that is there, that when we let the sunlight, when we heal enough, when we let the sunlight of the spirit come through, we gain access to that whole healthy, beautiful part of ourselves. And boy, that was such a cool thing to do because it just, it just grew. And I could feel the, the light coming from her. So what I'd like to suggest before we go into meditation, is if you're able, and if you want to, to think about that, that you that was back then, that you that you have in mind, you may not have a picture of her or you may, um, or him, and think about her and focus on her and see if you can breathe in some spirit, draw in some light, you know, kind of just focus on that, the, the um, sunlight of the spirit in that part of you. Thank you. <laughs> 